Hi, I'm Monty Sharp, and I'd like to welcome you to the Gatekeepers Initiative. What in the world is a gatekeeper, you may ask? I'm so glad you asked. The world's gatekeepers proclaim that they're protecting their community, but in reality, they're elevating themselves by denying others entrance to the community by belittling and devaluing them. God's gatekeepers protect their communities through loving devotion to those around them. They're there to encourage that which is good and reject that which brings harm. So let's take a deeper dive today in how God is calling you to be a gatekeeper. Today we're going to be covering a subject that is critically important for our culture. Uh, this podcast is going to be talking about the state of the American teenager. And many of you've got teenagers at home, you're going, oh, praise the Lord, let me listen to this. It is really important. Our teens today are struggling and they're facing desperate times, crying out for help. Uh, and so what is it that we as parents and peers and gatekeepers can do to help them? We're going to be talking about some of those things today. And, and I think before I get into some recent information, I, I want to clarify something. There are many things that contribute to difficulties that people have in life. And so to be able to say, well, this is the solution that will change everything is probably pretty arrogant on anybody's part. But there is one thing that is a great starting point and the most important starting point. Matthew 6.33 says, Jesus says this, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the rest will be added unto you. When we seek Jesus first, he adds the rest unto us. Now, sometimes he does that supernaturally by just intervening and touching us and changing things in our life and changing circumstances. And that's just amazing. But that's not the norm. Usually he adds the rest unto us through people, through uh, different circumstances and things that he's got us going through to be able to help us be set free, to realize who we are, whose we are, to give us his strength and our weakness, to give us guidance and direction and wisdom, all those kinds of things that make a big difference. But the beginning of that is always seeking him first. And so we're going to touch base on that seeking process first and see how that works uh, practically in our lives. So hopefully you're ready. So buckle up and here we go. Let's start with some of the recent statistics that I ran across. Um, You know, it's kind of interesting to know what pollsters are saying about teens. So I pulled up studies by Barna and Pew and very well uh, over the last 14 years. So I'll, re- I'll just share a few of those with you. In the, in the next 24 hours in the United States, 1,439 teenagers will attempt suicide. Every 24 hours. Almost 1,500 teenagers attempting suicide. In the next 24 hours, 2,795 teenage girls will become pregnant. Boy, the burden that that places on them is unbelievable. 15,000 teens will use drugs for the first time. 3,500 teens will run away. And two teens will be murdered every 24 hours. That's not good statistics that we're facing. In 2018, the United States handled approximately 744,000 juvenile delinquency cases. And about 100,000 of those were related to drug offenses. 
Teen suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for people between the ages of 10 and 34. More teens and adults die from suicide than from the heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, pneumonia, influenza, cancer, and lung disease combined. Four out of five teens who attempt suicide give warning signs, but often those signs are missed or ignored. We run through that often as we're working with teens on campus. 20% of adolescents live with a mental health condition. Incidentally, adolescents are uh, the age bracket from 10 to 20 years old. 50% of all mental illnesses begin by the age of 14. And 75% begin before the age of 24. That's just crazy. We need to be looking out and finding a way to be able to reach them. Anxiety and depression, eating disorders, uh, teens face a host of mental health challenges. Approximately 40% of teens have used marijuana in the past year. An additional 14% have used an illicit drug other than marijuana. 12% have misused a prescription drug. 56% of teens report using alcohol in the past year. 56%. Nine out of 10 of those with an addiction began using before the age of 18. Nine out of 10. We've got so many people in our country today that have died from overdoses and fentanyl and, and things that people that you would never think have gotten hooked on it. And nine out of 10 of them start using in their teenage years before the age of 18. How about relationship difficulties? Teenagers are constantly facing those, and the results of that can be catastrophic. Teen relationships, be they friendships or romantic relationships, are often weighed down by stressors that can either produce or aggravate adverse mental health symptoms. Due to their nature, teen relationships are ever-changing. Their lack of adequate coping skills needed to handle the emotional disruptions that come with a dissolution of a teen relationship, especially romantic ones, right, can often result in symptoms of teen depression and anxiety. And you may go, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember being depressed when my girlfriend dumped me or my boyfriend dumped me. Today, the consequences of wrong choices and these kinds of actions have so much greater impact on teens than they, they did when you or I, maybe, if you're an adult out there, uh, were in school. How about social media? Social media can be a blessing or a curse for teens and adults alike. In recent years, there have been all kinds of studies that have been coming out about the effects of social media on the development of brains of teens. Research educates that's a strong link between heavy social media use and teen mental health problems. Did you know that 50% of all lifetime cases of mental illness will develop before the age of 17? That same study provided a few troubling facts relating to the increase in mental health issues through the years of 2009 and 2017. Cases of major depression among teens 16 to 17 rose over those years by an overwhelming 69%. Feeling of anxiety and hopelessness increased by 71% among people uh, the ages of 17 to 25. One out of five girls ages 12 to 17 have experienced major depression within the last year. And between 2008 and 2017, the suicide rate among teens ages 18 to 19 increased by 56%. And incidentally, those were pre-COVID statistics. Through these last couple of years of COVID, 
The CDC says that the number increased by 50% of the girls who struggled with suicide. That number was only up 4%. Even 4%, though, is a, is a horrible increase. So you can see teenagers are constantly being struggling with things. One in five teens suffer from some kind of mental disorder in the United States, according to the CDC. 50% of lifetime cases of mental illness begin at the age of 14 years. Teenagers say that 70% of their peers struggle with anxiety and depression. They say that 55% of them struggle with bullying, and 51% struggle with drug addiction, and 45% struggle with alcohol. This is what teens are saying about their peers. And these stats don't even touch the issue of broken homes, cancel culture, etc. An ever-increasing percentage of our teens are finding that the only normality in life is abnormality. That is not a good thing. This is what teens are saying about themselves. 40% say they feel bored. 29% feel tense or nervous about their day. 29% wish that they had more good friends. 26% get excited uh, by something they study in school. That's great for the 26%, but that's an enormous majority that don't feel that way about school. Uh, 24% come across people who try to put them down on, on a regular basis. Those are horrible stats for teens to have to deal with. I could go on. The stats are, are out there and they're crippling when you look at them. I think they're overwhelming when you look at them. What hope do we have? What hope do our teens have? Um, well, there's a lot of hope when it comes to Jesus. He makes a difference. And the Word of God helps us understand what those differences are and how we can tie into them. Uh, we're going to take a quick dive into a, uh, the story of God's people when they were rescued from Egypt and God took them through the wilderness and then into the promised land. Amazing things happened there. A lot of miracles along the way. And this, this is out of Judges 2. And I'll read starting with verse 1. It says, that The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land which has sworn for your fathers. That's a great statement. God has got the capability of doing that. The entire nation of Israel, he took from the hands and the grip of slavery of the, the greatest nation on the earth at that time. Amazing. So God has the ability to do these things. And we go on in verse 6, and it says, When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet work the work that the Lord had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord and the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they bowed themselves down to them, and thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers, who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. 
you know, we, we see that kind of thing going on around us today. This is happening to our kids. The enemy is plundering their virginity and their, their purity and their innocence, their hope and their joy, their very childhood. He's raping and robbing them of their peace and their purpose and their positions in the kingdom of God. They're lost and lacking and lonely, following the lie because they haven't seen and heard the truth. And you may say, oh, come on, it's not that bad. Were you listening to the stats I just read you? And that just scratched the surface of where the teens are today. I've had the privilege of working with them for 35 years. It's crazy to see the devastation increase in their lives so much. The challenges that they're facing every day are so much greater. But in addition to being greater, the consequences of making bad choices are enormously greater in their lives. Jesus can't say to so many of our teens today what he said to the Hebrews in Hebrews 13:7. He said, remember those who led you and imitate their fate. He can't say that because there's no one testifying from their fathers, from our generation's fathers and grandfathers today, about their faith and their belief in Jesus. Now, I shouldn't say no one, but the, the number of those of dads and granddads and, and that generation are, are continuing to be diminished, those that are willing to stand up and testify uh, about Jesus. Our kids, our teenagers are lost because of a lack of testimony. They're lost because there's no one to follow. There's no one to follow because there's no testimony as to who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives and our country. How did our teens get here so lost? Primarily, again, for lack of testimony. Romans 10, 14 says, How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear in, the, in him if no one tells them? Joshua's generation heard about and saw and experienced some of the most profound miracles in the annals of mankind. And yet the generation that followed them knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. How could this be? Joshua's generation had been through their great depression and wilderness. Uh, They experienced all that when they were very young. They'd fought their wars and seen their victories, and they entered the promised land where anything was possible for those who believed and worked hard. And they achieved relative ease in their life and, and financial success. Sound familiar? My parents' generation parallels Joshua's. And my generation parallels Joshua's sons and daughters. That generation and and the curses of that generation are continuing on with my kids and, and their kids. We neither know the Lord nor what he has done for our country. Our kids and grandkids are in even worse shape than my generation is. How did this happen? My parents' generation forgot to tell how tough life was and how it got better and who it was that brought, out the, uh, brought them out of the wilderness and, and gave them the promised land. Christianity and religion to them was something that, that was supposed to be kept private. They didn't talk about it. They ignored God's command in Deuteronomy 6, and they kept quiet. Deuteronomy 6 tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our soul and with all of our might. And he said, in these words, I'm commanding you today. They shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. 
Then he goes on and says, Then watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall not follow after these other gods or these other people. And when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do these testimonies and statutes and judgments mean which the Lord has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves in Pharaoh's Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt and Pharaoh and all of his household. And he brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us this land which he has sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, and for our survival as it is today. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he has commanded us. Our parents ignored God's command. They kept silent. They kept quiet. And because of this, my generation grew up asking the question, who am I? There was an identity crisis. We didn't know who we were as we related to God's hand in our life and in our parents. My parents fought the Great World War. It was, it was like, it was one of those kinds of things where it was an impossible thing to be able to win. Evil was so rampant in so many fronts. And God intervened as people were praying. He brought about this great victory where he defeated evil throughout the entire world. My parents grew up in the Great Depression and where everything was hopeless, where people didn't have food on the table, where everything was lost. And yet God did this great intervention and took them from this incredible hopelessness into this great promised land. After the war and after the Depression, God brought this land of plenty. He gave uh, my parents an understanding that if they trusted him, if they sought him, if they sought him first, that he would add the rest unto them. And, he, and if they worked hard and did the things that he wanted them to be doing, that there was nothing that was impossible for them. But they grew up with that. But they also grew up with this, well, I don't want to force my religion on anybody. And so they kept all the miracles and all the things and all the difficulties that they faced to themselves and failed to share them in totality with my generation and the generations afterwards. So my generation grew up with an identity crisis. They didn't understand who they were in the Lord. They didn't understand why their parents did what they did. And, and so because of that, my generation also started the slogan of, don't trust anyone under 30. Because they didn't trust, because they knew that there was something missing. There was something that wasn't quite right. We didn't know who we were because no one testified to us about our heritage. They shortchanged us of our inheritance the importance of hard things and difficult things and what the source of, who the source was of getting us through those hard things. We heard only half the truth, the easier portion of it. Our parents told us as we grew up, you can do anything. If you just work hard, you'll be blessed. But they forgot to tell us why and where all those blessings come from. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights above, James 1.17. And we, my generation, have started passing that on to the next generation, my kids and their kids. Exodus 20 verse 5 said, 
The sins of the fathers are visited upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. We're recreating the same malady, the same difficulty in our kids and in our teenagers today. Each generation has gotten a little worse. Another generation is becoming lost because my generation, who have come to know Jesus in, in a good fashion and realize all of this, have not been doing a good job of sharing their testimony with their kids and their grandkids. And that includes the hard things that we go through, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We haven't shared about Jesus and the difference that he makes in our lives. We haven't shared the Judeo-Christian work ethics of like hard work and integrity and character and honesty. You know, the, the importance of being consistent and having compassion and love and forgiveness, but also having to take up our cross and deny ourselves as we follow Jesus. Because of that, our kids and grandkids, our neighbors and friends and families are struggling with so many of these maladies that we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast. Let me give you an example of this. I've got a really good friend um, who, who is uh, in construction and is a contractor. And he is well known for the incredible work ethic that he has. I mean, he is a, a man that, that he will work anybody into the ground. We get a lot of these young football players over and, and be working with him. And after about a half day, they just want to fall over and, and cry. And he's still going strong, working them into the ground. But he got this work ethic from his father. His father required him as a teenager to help him in his construction jobs. He didn't get a chance to play football and sports and, and all those kinds of things that he could have been good at. Because his dad said, hey, I need you in the family business. And so he grew up working weekends and after school, and, and he kind of resented it. You know, he just kind of said, I'm not going to make my kids go through this. And so the very thing that he went through that enabled him to acquire this great uh, work ethic, this great characteristic, Christian characteristic of working hard, didn't get visited upon his children because he said, I don't, I don't want them to have to work. So he didn't have them working on anything. He wanted them to be able to take a life of ease and, and take it easy. He didn't talk about all of his hard work and things with them and the importance of that. And so his kids grew up struggling for quite a while because they didn't have the blessing that was visited upon their dad because he forgot to share that with them because he was trying to protect them of it. But in reality, he was denying them something that was a legacy that God had given him. And he failed to go ahead and pass it on to the next generation. Lost for lack of a testimony. Do you have a Christian testimony? Can you tell your kids what your life was like before you met Jesus and how you met him or how you surrendered to him? And, and what a difference he's made in your life since then? If you can't, you need to meet Jesus. So you can tell them tomorrow. Not just for your sake, but for their sake especially. Before we close today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make sure you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So hang in there. We'll get to that in the end of this podcast. Jesus has called us to rescue the weak and the needy, to deliver them out of the land of the wicked, Psalm 82.4. But how can we rescue the lost 
when we haven't been saved ourselves. It's so much more difficult for that to happen. Edmund Burke said, all it takes for evil to succeed is for one good man to do nothing. Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We've allowed the enemy to destroy our Christian foundations in our families and in our country for too long. It's time for us to stand up and testify to the truth. And, and what does that truth look like? Well, Jesus is that truth to begin with. We see in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. We see in, in Acts 4, 12, there is no other name by which we can be saved under heaven. We also see in, in that Jesus is the source of life, not just abundant life here on earth in John 10, 10, but also eternal life one day, John three sixteen. But we see that that truth has been systematically being removed from our culture. Because during my parents' generation, there was a court case in 1962 that went before the United States Supreme Court. And in that case, they removed prayer from schools. Now, mind you, prayer was part of school every day and public part of school for almost 200 years in this country. Our founding fathers believed that prayer and, and a relationship with Christ was critical. It was critical to keeping the moral fiber of our, our country and that the Constitution would not stand without that. You can go back and read their statements on that. The, the Supreme Court ignored the original intent of the founding fathers, and they ignored the precedence of all the Supreme Court decisions before them. And since that decision, they've removed Bible reading out, there's been a constant, continual stream of decisions that have tried to take the testimony of Jesus Christ and the, how he has affected our country and individual lives in our country completely out of public discourse. It's time for us to stand up, my brothers and sisters, and to be able to bring Jesus back into the public square and to do so with boldness. He makes all the difference. He's the one that blesses. He's the source of those blessings. Romans 1.25 tells us that they turned the truth of God into a lie. How did that happen? By telling the lie louder and longer than we've been standing up and telling the truth. It's time for us to be able to reacquire our testimony and to speak it boldly in the public square and especially in the walls of our homes with their family. It's time that, that we learned who we are in Jesus and what a wonderful plan that he has for each of us and, and how we can follow him. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, not for calamity, but for future and for hope. It's time to testify, to speak up, to speak out the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. So let's turn off our TVs and our smartphones and our computers and turn our kids on to Jesus again. Let's testify by reading the word of God with them and discussing and memorizing it and discussing his word especially and helping our kids understand the great change that can come through walking with him and following his truth in our lives. Let's testify by teaching and modeling the importance of hard things in life as we trust Jesus to use them to shape and mold us through the difficulties of them.
You know, that's one of the, the Christian values that we see in the Scripture. Hard things make us perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. James 1 tells us that. And in Romans 5, it tells us that it gives us perseverance, proven character, and hope that does not disappoint. We avoid hard things. That's part of the, the testimony that my parents forgot to share with us, my generation. And, and each generation since have tried to protect their kids from hard things. We don't want them to have to have the consequences, the natural consequences of bad choices. We don't want them to be able to grow out of those kinds of things. Hard things are part of our Christian values. Along with truth and diligence and honesty and integrity, all of these things make a radical difference if we just allow them to. And incidentally, just, just a side note, all of us, if we're really truthful, have been testifying to our kids. And we've probably been doing a pretty good job of it. But the question is, are our testimonies good testimonies or bad ones? Are they leading our kids closer to Jesus, where they can be set free from this vortex of declivity? Or are we leading them closer to the world and Satan and all of his desires to destroy them? little by little every day. 2 Kings 17, 15 says, they followed after vanity and they became vain. Jeremiah 2, 5 says, they walked after emptiness and they became empty. You see, the things we follow after, the things that we walk after are the things that shape us and mold us into their image. We need to help our kids see it's following Jesus that sets them free. If we're not doing that, let's start today by testifying to our teens, our spouses, and our friends where we are with Jesus and where we want to be with Jesus and ask them to pray with us and to seek Jesus with us so we can get there together. You know, I, I have a friend that is <laughs> a young man that um, when we first started our ministry had a habit of knocking on my door at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, usually pretty soused. And he always had a friend in tow. And his comments would be, I was, my, this is my friend. And I was talking to him, and they need Jesus. I'm an idiot because I know Jesus, and I'm not following him. But I, I know that the only way they're going to be free and, and get the help they need is if, if they hear about Jesus. Well, you share Jesus with them. And so I would sit down, and we'd spend time. Every one of them came to know Christ. That night, and in, continued to follow Jesus to this day. This friend loved his friends enough that even though he wasn't walking with Jesus at the time, he knew that Jesus could make the difference in their lives. And he didn't care about somebody calling him a hypocrite because he loved them enough and he knew the truth that he testified to them where their source of help was going to be. So if that's you, and you go, oh man, who am I to tell my kids or my friends about Jesus? And you're not walking with him at the moment? Love him enough to share the truth. Bring him to church. Bring him to Jesus, however you can, whatever it takes. Don't let your failures and your struggles keep you from bringing them to the freedom. And in the process of that, most likely, you're going to find yourself walking sweeter with Jesus also. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
Let's start speaking up and sharing the way that we should be. Luke 8:39 says, "Return to your houses and describe what great things that God has done for you." You don't feel like he's done anything for you? It's probably because you haven't noticed or you haven't asked. So let's start asking. I just want to touch real quick like on some of the reasons I think that probably most of us are not sharing our testimony or not testifying about Jesus and and the difference that he can make and and our families and with our friends and and with our teens especially and and in our culture. One of the reasons that we don't testify, we don't share is because we don't know Jesus yet. We don't know him enough. We've heard about him. We've heard people talk about him. And right now, probably the Lord's kind of tugging at your heart. You're feeling a little sweaty in your palms and your heart's beating a little fast. And you need to know Jesus. If you don't know him yet, start the the miraculous. You know, the greatest miracle that can occur is a changed life. Being set free from bondage and lies and all these statistics that we just got through reading about in teens' lives and that also work their way all the way up to adults also. So if that's you, as we close, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be able to correct that today and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. One of the other reasons that we don't testify, we don't share, is because we feel like that it would be hypocritical. We've already covered that reason. We just got through talking about that young man that kept bringing his unsaved friends to Christ. You need to be doing that too. That's not hypocrisy. That's love. Or maybe we feel like we don't know enough. We don't know how. I've got a really great friend, um, kind of one of those slow-speaking guys. Same thing, building contractor. And he shared in his testimony how his neighbor came over and talked to him about Jesus. And he had this little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. It was just a gospel tract. And he sat down and shared with him. He'd never even heard about Jesus. And he heard, heard what this guy said. And what they read through the booklet together, it probably took him all of about 10 minutes. And he knew it was true and knew it was right and gave his life to Jesus right then and there. But it didn't stop there. This guy, who had given his life to Christ, took that same booklet the next day and led somebody else to Jesus. Didn't matter about not knowing enough. He knew it was true. And from that day forward, he always had a gospel track in his pocket. He was known for it. Gave him away to gas station, all these different places. So not knowing enough is not an excuse. If you know Jesus, you know enough. Nothing else, look at a person and say, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You'll be amazed at the response that you might find from that. Incidentally, if you've never seen one of those, you can go to a bookstore, you can go online now, uh, look up gospel tracts, uh, and order one of those. There's uh, Four Laws, Peace with God, Billy Graham uh, Crusade puts it out, uh, Crew puts it out. There's a lot of places that you could pick up one of those. And finally, I think the reason that we don't testify enough is because we're afraid of the reaction. We're afraid of what people will say. We're afraid of the rejection. Let me ask you a question. If you really love somebody, and, and you saw them standing in the street, and they were looking at you, and they looked pretty good that day, and, and you're waving at them because you want them to know you love them. Your big smile on your face, and they're responding to that going, wow, I feel loved by you. And you see a giant truck bearing down on them, going about 60 miles an hour, and you've got two choices. You can stand there 
smiling at them and waving. Or you can run as hard as you can possibly run and tackle them, hoping to be able to knock them out of the way of that truck. Knowing you tear the clothes, probably break a leg or an arm, probably smash their face into, into the asphalt and, and would be ground like hamburger, but they'd be alive. And probably they'd get up and, and be madder than a wet hen at you for doing that, not knowing why you did it or understanding at the time. But which is true love? The tackle? Or just sitting there looking at them get smashed and killed as you waved and smiled at them and then thinking, guys, what a great friend that is. Guys, true love risks it. True love says, I do what I can do to set you free from this vortex of declivity, this downward spiral of destruction that the enemy wants to bring to our teens, to our family, to our spouses, to our friends, the places we work, the places we go to school. We need to testify to the truth and see the miraculous brought back into our culture again. See Jesus brought back in, the only one that can set us free from all of these maladies. Will you be part of that? I hope so. And when it comes time for you to be able to share that testimony, let me give you a simple way to be able to do that. Starts off by just simply saying, what was your life like before you met Jesus? You don't have to make it worse than it is or anything, but I mean, all of us are, have an emptiness in our life before we meet Jesus. We try to fill it with all the wrong things. It could be work, it could be anger, it could be bitterness, it could be unforgiveness, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be any number of things, pornography, whatever it might be. What was your life like before you met Jesus? And then how did you meet and receive Jesus? Be specific. You know, I went to church and I heard a gospel message. I listened to this word guy on a podcast. Whatever it might be, you know, and, and this is what he said to me, and this is what I did, and, and Jesus met me there. But share, share how you met Jesus. So what was your life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And then what's your life been like since? And guaranteed, it's not been perfect. <laughs> Trust me, there's going to be a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties. The difference is that you're not fighting through them on your own or running from them on your own. The difference is, is that you've got the creator of the universe and his strength and his provision to be able to be there in your weakness, in your lack, and help you through them, to make you more than conquerors, knowing that, that you're not alone in this and that he has intentioned those, to, those difficult, challenging times to help shape you and mold you uh, into his image to make you perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So you don't have to fear those things anymore. What a difference that makes. And you can be able to tell people, yeah, in fact, I'm in the middle of one of these really hard times right now, and I'm telling the Lord I'm not happy with it. But I know he loves me, and I know he's working through my life, and he's going to get me through it. What a great testimony to share with other people. So what was your life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And what's your life been like since? And then the important thing from all of that, too, don't forget to try to close the deal. You know, you can convince, you can be the greatest car salesman in the entire world and convince me that I need to buy that car. But if you never ask me to sign the contract, I walk away. Well, how do you close the deal there? Well, it's a simple thing. Invite them to Jesus. You can do that by inviting them to church. If you've got a church that will give a gospel message along the line, you can invite them to, by, to Jesus by uh, sharing a, a gospel track with them. 
You can invite them to, to Jesus by simply saying, hey, look, God loves you. And you can invite him in right now through a simple prayer. And pray with them. Pray with them. It, it doesn't have to be complicated or convoluted by all these different words and things. You're not asking them to jump through hoops. You're, you're just asking them to, to open the door of their life to the one who's already knocking on it, Jesus, and invite him in. So pray with him. Now, I, I think I would probably be failing here if I didn't practice what I preached. For those of you that are out there that have not received Jesus yet, and you know that the Lord is calling you, like I say, that kind of fast heartbeat, that sweating of palms, you know it's right. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that Jesus is calling you. And all it takes is a simple, heartfelt prayer. It's not the words of the prayer. It's the attitude of your heart. And so if that's you, I just want you to quietly, or you can do it out loud, however, you, wherever you are, to just pray this prayer with me. You ready for it? Here we go. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, my life hasn't been where you want me to be. And so I'm inviting you right now to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. To renew me and make me a new creation. Come, Lord Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. You may feel giddy and great, or you may just feel like, uh, okay. It doesn't make any difference how you feel. Feelings are real, they're just not always true. So walk by faith, trusting that Jesus is alive and well in your life right now. What are your next steps? Well, it's important for you to grab hold of a Bible someplace and do what I call Word Up. Get in the Word of God on a regular basis and start reading. A great place to start is in the, in the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read, read the Gospel of John. And the reason I say John is because John was a, one of his disciples that Jesus loved and had a close, seems like maybe the closest relationship of all the disciples and just had this sweet, intimate relationship there. That's where you want to be too. Find a church that is a good Bible teaching church. How do you know which one that is? Ask Jesus to cause you to be in the right church and start looking for that. If you have a, a problem with that, contact us with Student Venture uh, through the podcast or through our uh, email. So word up and then get down. What is get down? Well, get down is get on your knees and pray. And that doesn't mean you have to literally do that, but just start praying throughout the day. Jesus is your best friend. Talk to him like your best friend. You know, talk to him about your needs and, and, and the exciting things that are going on and the good things. Thank him for those kinds of things. Attitude of gratitude changes a lot in our lives. So word up, get down. And then the last thing is work hard. We've already seen in this podcast the importance of hard work. Um, and that's part of, uh, of our divine characteristics that God wants us to be able to develop. If you think about it, God worked really hard for six days creating everything. And aren't we glad that he did? But then the seventh day he rested. In the same way, we need to learn the importance and the value of working hard, working at doing the things that Jesus has called us to do. One of the hardest things that we do is to testify 
to the truth of him being in our life, to those around us that so desperately need him. Let's not lose another generation. In fact, let's rescue this one by heeding the words of Jesus in Luke 8.39. Return to your home. Describe the great things that God has done for you. Let's do that today and every day to the glory of God, to the blessing of those around us. Do I hear an amen? Amen. So if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss another episode of Monty Sharp and the Gatekeepers Initiative. Don't forget, each of us has our gates of influence in our lives that can radically change the world around us. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm looking forward to being with you again next time. May the Lord richly and wonderfully bless you.